You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Hour two on this Wednesday, Dan and the Danettes, Dan Patrick Show. We'll spend some time with the great comedian Bill Burr. He's in the new movie, Pete Davidson movie. It's called The King of Staten Island. He'll join us coming up. Dale Earnhardt Jr. heading into the Hall of Fame. Jr. will join us coming up in a little while as well. You'd like to get in touch with the program, email, tweet. You can also dial us up, 877-3DP-SHOW. Say good morning to our great radio partners, numbering 362 cities around America, and also YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. There were reports yesterday that six or maybe up to eight MLB owners don't want to play this season. The reason seems to be strictly financial, but still, can you imagine owning a baseball team and not wanting to see your team play? Isn't that the whole point here? I understand some owners, especially in small markets, might really need that cash flow, and they don't want to lose money on this upcoming season. But underneath it all, it's not supposed to be about the money. If you're rich, you buy a team because you love baseball. You love the sport. I don't think the public thinks that's the case. Because it looks like these owners are just looking at the bottom line, and this is not for the betterment of baseball or the fan base here. This is about haves and the have-nots, whether it's the owners with a lot of money or it's players who are going to make a lot of money. And then you have the smaller markets, and then you have a majority of the baseball players who don't make more than a million dollars. They need to come back and play baseball. I don't know if there's going to be a season. I assume there will be. I do think there is a... And and I know that there is a conspiracy theorist out there. And uh, I spoke to one yesterday. But, he, he, you know, he's in the baseball world. And I, I said... What is the what's going on here? Now, trying to understand the commissioner is going to have everybody order everybody to come back. And he said there is a strategic timeline that will unfold here and you'll see exactly what the commissioner has in mind. I go, wait, what does that mean? It's going to be a strategically placed start of the season, end of the season, start date, end date. And you're going to get a 50-game schedule, probably. I said, okay. And, and you know, and he said, look, I know you've been negative about baseball, and you call yourself Danny Downer, but think of this. Every team that plays has a chance. When's the last time you've started a baseball season where you went, we don't have more than four or five teams that can win it all? Every team will have a chance because of it's only 50 games. And I said, well, don't every, doesn't every team have a chance every year when they start the season? He goes, yeah, but after a while, you know, the cream rises to the top and the teams that have the most money, talent, they're able to go out and pick up somebody, they can trade for somebody, and these smaller markets can't. I said, I understand it. I believe that's just called baseball, but the 50-game schedule, and, you know, this guy said... Trust me, it's going to be a photo finish. It'll be great. Get baseball back. And I go, okay, how about we just get baseball back? Right? Doesn't it, 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 this feels like, hey, you know what? We're going to have the New York City Marathon, and it starts on the 21st mile. It's going to be great. Everybody's got a chance to win. Okay. Everybody's going to be bunched up here, going to the finish line. All right. So, 
that's all I have. That's all I know. And that's somebody who admits that they're a conspiracy theorist. They think the commissioner has this mapped out exactly when he is going to start the season. And I went, okay. And, and he's going to have, it, it's a 50-game schedule. And I said, okay. But, but that's all I know. And I promised you I wouldn't waste your time in you know, ranting and raving and criticizing the players and the owners and the commissioner. I wanted something where at least I could try to move it forward the best I can. And that's all I got for you today. Because nobody knows anything. And that's scary. I'm not talking about baseball insiders. It feels like the owners and the players and the commissioner and the head of the Major League Baseball Players Association, I don't know if they know anything. I would just say to the commissioner, and I don't know if Mike Greenberg said this when he had uh, Commissioner Fest on the mothership the other night. I don't know if that's the official title. We're checking. Welcome to Commissioner Fest. If you say to the commissioner of Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred, hey, how about you and Tony Clark, who head up the Baseball Players Association, get in the same room, just you two. And if you want to have a mediator, we can do that. We can have a marriage counselor in there. And they're just going to help you inch closer and closer to what is real. How about that? Would you, I would ask the commissioner, and we've asked for him, by the way, but I would say, why can't you just get in the room with Tony Clark, the head of the Baseball Players Association? Just you two. And you're not, you know, if I got in an argument with my brother, my younger brother, my mom would lock us in a room and say, figure it out, and then, then I'll let you guys out. Of course, we got to hit each other with sticks and things like that, but <laughs> I don't know if, you know, the, the commissioner and the head of the player Association would be allowed to do that. But, you know, we'd eventually settle it and we'd walk out. But, I mean, at least have a game plan. And I'm told there is a game plan, believe it or not, and it's a heavy-handed, heavy-handed game plan by the commissioner, is what I was told. I said, okay, all right. And my source said, I'm, I'll, I'll hopefully have other details for you today. And, and he said, look, this isn't a conspiracy theory. This is what is being talked about, that he has a timeline of when there's going to be a season. I said, okay. All right, I'll play naive again. I'm good. I'm good at that. I'll just go, okay, we're going to have baseball here. But I think uh, – we're going to have maybe 50 games. What is happening with these six or eight owners? And I, I heard it wasn't that many owners, but there were three, two to three owners who said, why would we come back? All we do is we're going to lose money. We're not going to be in the playoffs and we're going to lose money because there's no fans here. And that's why they don't want to restart the season. And, and I understand that these are two or three small market teams, owners. I get that. Uh, but the other owners... You know, they're going to get into the postseason and they're going to make money. Baseball just signed this long-term deal with TNT. And that's all about the postseason. I try not to pick sides with it because every day it feels like I'm changing sides. I'm just trying to illuminate you on some of the things that I've heard. Or my feelings on this. Having covered strikes and lockouts in multiple sports here. They don't have safety guidelines in place for Major League Baseball yet. I brought up something so simple that I don't know if baseball can do anything about it. If you're on first base and there's a first baseman there, how are we practicing social distancing here? How about the catcher? You go to the plate. Like, 
these are just simple things. And I don't know how they've been addressed, if they've been addressed, and if, they came, if they've come up with a solution here. All right. I spent far too much time on this. And I had vowed when I came in this morning, I'm going to try to get through the first hour with not talking baseball. And I did. A little bit. All right, McLevin, you got a poll question for me? Okay, so we put up an NBA poll question. Uh, does going to Orlando and eating great food, playing basketball, and hanging out with your friends sound amazing or awful for three months? It's three months. Still 61% say amazing. Yeah. Well. I think, uh, Dad, I think parents with young kids are really into that idea right now. Three months is a long time. That's that's really a long time. That'll be the good teams for three months. Yeah. Some will get out in two yeah. months. Yeah, I just didn't know if you can remove them after they've played for two months and they can have the Eastern Conference, Western Conference finals in their home arenas. And then I don't have to worry about other as many people who are going to be there in Orlando. But you might say, look, all the safeguards are going to be in place. And by then, you know, they're going to be able to have this quarantined as well as you could possibly do it, I'm guessing. And then when these teams lose, then they leave. Though you would, you're going to greatly reduce the work staff there uh, by the time you get to the uh, NBA finals. They're so desperate to get these finals in. There's so much money attached to it. Hundreds of millions of dollars are attached to this. Hundreds of millions of dollars. That's why they're pushing so hard for a baseball season. Yeah, McLovin. Where do you stand after seeing all this, uh, having 16 teams just play the playoffs in the NBA compared to the 22 that they're bringing in? I didn't want 22. But they're, like, they want to say, we, we want to have this as close to normal as possible. I just don't know if you can. I don't need to bring in 22 teams. 16, fine. Okay, I'm sorry. Zion didn't make the playoffs. But... You know, they want to have a certain number of regular season games contractually, and you want to get the postseason in. And they're, they're hell-bent on doing that. I brought up something in the, the first hour. In fact, I found out something in the first hour. Mark Price of the Cleveland Cavaliers not in the Basketball Hall of Fame. And I, he was an All-American at Georgia Tech. He was drafted in the first round. He, I think Dallas drafted him. Then he goes to the Cavaliers, helped them become contenders and he was the I think Larry Bird was the first player who went 50 from the floor 40 from three-point range 90 from the free throw line Mark Price was the second one to do that four-time all-star maybe didn't play long enough I don't know but I I was kind of surprised that Mark Price uh, is not in the Hall of Fame because it's about college and pro but I mean, Mark Price was right there with Kevin Johnson, John Stockton, Isaiah Thomas. Like, he had a run. He had a run where he averaged at least 15 and 8 assists a game. A seven-year period. So he's right there with uh, Isaiah, KJ, and John Stockton. Yeah, Paulie. But he was a very good player if you're a hardcore fan, but he was in such a shadow with the players around him at the time. Like you said, Isaiah, Magic... Uh, Jordan, just in his own conference, there were so many more flashy, exciting, highlight players. He gets easily forgotten by the casual fan. If they had beaten the Bulls, if they had gone to uh, Eastern Conference Finals, and that was a really talented team. Those Cavs, that Cav team was really good. Doherty and Nance in there, Price, that was a good team. But uh, 
they uh, didn't do a good job double covering Michael Jordan. All right, some phone calls here. And once again, we'll talk to uh, the great comedian Bill Burr. Also, this day in uh, show history. Do you have this, Paulie? It's ready for later. Okay. I don't, I don't want to take it. You, you could do it now if you want. Well, Marvin, who answers the phones here, came up with uh, this from this date one year ago today. Do you want to I'll do this? You. you want to do this now? It was a big deal at the time. Okay. All right. This is uh, one year ago today. Kevin Costner in studio in New York. Second time he had joined us. And he went after Paulie. And here's how it sounded. I watched Field of Dreams just again the other day. Everyone loves that movie. It's got a lot of legs. It's going to be around forever. But I was wondering when you're getting pitched Field of Dreams, when they're pitching you, you're at your peak of stardom. Do you ever think this could be really silly? What do you think I peaked? What are you talking about? No, no, about? but like you were. <laughs> <What> the- <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 we can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we can't. No offense. I mean, you just. You just, you just, you just okay. Holy, you can't say that, and you can't say that. Kevin. I, did you see what he said to he me? He said you peaked. Yeah, you said no, you peaked. You misquoted me. You were. Okay. Wait, what did you say? He just said you were. So, okay. Don't you, don't you push me down. Never, never, yeah. Mr. Coster. But when, did you ever think when you got pitched the idea for Field of Dreams, this could be really silly? It turned out fantastic. I can tell you exactly where I was when I read that movie. Dan and I were talking about it before we started the role. And I apologize for humiliating you. He just got the uh, same no, treatment I've, as that fan. I, you know, you know that's Billy Kitchen. You suck, Paulie. You, you suck. suck. Yeah, yeah, you Billy suck. Chappell. That's Billy Chappell. Yeah. The, um, the, uh, I apologize to the audience, too. Uh, the, um, you can use that word if you just use it sparingly, and it's just like a sword. It, um, anyway. I'm aware. Uh, he was talking about for love of the game where he plays this pitcher, Billy Chapel, and he said that uh, they were shooting the movie and they had the extras and these New Yorkers are yelling out, you suck, Billy Chapel suck. And that's not supposed to be in the movie there, but the extras were there and I guess shooting late at night and they were mad you know, that they, uh, whatever they were getting, $25 a day and they're yelling at Kevin Costner on the mound <laughs> in true New York form. Uh, that was this day in show history. A year ago today. Yeah, Paul. That, that was a wild scene because we got along very, very well with him the last couple of times we had him in studio. I really was trying to say that he had reached like a high level as we an actor. We got it. Yeah. We got it. But it, it's funny how it didn't come out right. And, and his face was like, you could see him. He's, he, he like jerks back and is ready to go. Well, what was worse? When McLovin and Joe Montana... Oh, yeah, because you told Joe Montana. You instigated that one. I, I told Joe what you had said before on numerous occasions that Joe Montana was a system quarterback. Right. Okay, so you never said, hey, whatever you do, don't tell Joe Montana. Well, I mean, Steve Young obviously walked right in there and did the same thing. I, what does I, that imply I, to you? I, I know. And Joe Montana, he turned on you. You still stand by that, that Joe Montana was a system quarterback. Yeah, I, I saw it by a big Twitter debate. Who At the end of the day, who's going to have a better career, Russell Wilson or Joe Montana? I actually thought of Pauly immediately with that one. Uh, Joe Montana. Probably. Russell Wilson threw an interception at the goal line. What if he had it? But he did. It was, it, it was the terrible play call. It was. He threw the pass. And I don't know if they're getting back to another. Montana went 4-0. I mean, he never threw an interception in a Super Bowl. It's Joe Montana. 
It's not even close. Russell Wilson will have better stats, but that's what today's quarterback is about, better stats. Joe Montana was 4-0 in the Super Bowl and never threw an interception. But if Russell Wilson had landed with Bill Walsh in San Francisco It doesn't work that way. He landed with Pete Carroll, who's going to go into the Hall of Fame. True. But if Joe Montana had gone to Seattle, what would have happened? Don't do this. Tom Brady been drafted in by the Arizona Cardinals. He'd be out of the league and not, <laughs> not ruggedly, handsomely posing. Oh, for... I know. The, the uh, pictures of Tom Brady in the new Tampa Bay uniforms came out. Yeah, you still owe us an opinion on that, by the way. Do you like the new look, rugged Tommy? It's, it's okay, but when you say, is Tom Brady handsome, more handsome now and, or when he was younger, I, I don't want to get into that. He just, you know, he's a handsome guy and you know, like ruggedly handsome. When you get older, you're ruggedly handsome. At some point <laughs> in your 30s, you transfer from hot to handsome. And that's, that's a good I thing. Didn't, I didn't. Yeah, I never did that. <laughs> I, I, I never. Seton's the only one with boy band good looks. But even now. That, that maybe if that was true, that was 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. But and Fritzy, you know, he had his run, too, about two years but when you're back at camp counselor, it all uh, fell off the uh, fell yeah. off the old wagon. Yeah, I never had it, uh, but the, you know, Seton had it for a Seton had it for a little while longer than everybody. But uh, Todd had a good run there for probably what three or four years. Yeah, there was I some beefcake there. No, you know, you were a beefed up Mark Ruffalo. It was late teens into the early mid twenties, and then I know started eating M and M's or something. <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> All right, we'll get to phone calls here. And, uh, yeah, the, uh, the Tampa Bay photos of Tom. Yeah, all right, they look good. I want to see the creamsicle. I don't care about these other Tampa uniforms there. That's what I want to see. I think we have the only mock-up, and that's out in the man cave, where I brought in our uh, street artist, Arcee, and I said, put him in the creamsicle uniforms there. That, that's what I want to see when he's able to do that. All right, we'll take a break. Uh, phone calls and uh, the great comedian Bill Burr will join us uh, coming up. Dale Jr. in an hour from now. It's approaching, synchronizing our watches here, almost 20 after the hour. This is The Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to The Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for The Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app, by searching FSR. Dan Patrick Show brought to you by Mercedes-AMG. Be prepared for whatever comes your way. It's the all-new GT four-door coupe. Life's a race. Visit your local dealership for a test drive today. If you missed any of our interviews this week or any week from the Mercedes-AMG Man Cave, go to the Dan Patrick Show app. Watch and listen from inside the Mercedes-AMG Man Cave. Mercedes-AMG driving performance. The fourth season of Bill Burr's animated Netflix series, F is for Family. He's got Laura Dern in there, Justin Long, Sam Rockwell. It started up last week. He's also in the Judd Apatow film, The King of Staten Island, starring Bill alongside Pete Davidson and uh, Marissa Tomei. That premiered on June 12th. Big time actor now. No longer comedian. Big time actor, (laughs) Billy Burr. Good morning, Bill. I don't know about that, but yeah, I got a, I had some lines in a movie that wasn't mine. That's a Pete Davidson vehicle, Dan Patrick. <laughs> I, you borrow it. I don't know if you steal the movie, but you borrow the movie. Is that fair to say? Um, I, I don't know. You did I well. Mean, it was fun. Thank you. Yeah. Thank and, you. And Marissa Tomei brightens up everybody's day. She's probably the best I've ever worked with. She was, uh, 
it just was incredible to work opposite against uh, and and like I don't I don't know I I don't know how to quite put it into words like she was one of those people she put the glasses on and they had the wig that she wore and she just became somebody else which was very intimidating I was like my God I, I just a stupid comic how am I going to hang in here with this but uh yeah she was she was amazing but how do you uh, work on the makeout scenes uh you don't. Radio loves it. All the creeps are in radio. Like, <laughs> how does this work? What was that like? Uh, did you feel feelings? Um, believe it or not, I, I, I had never done a kiss scene, kissing scene in, in any acting other than, like, kissing somebody hello real quick when you came home. So, you know, and it's funny is nobody – you just assumed that you know what you're doing. So um, – I just remember before we did the first one, she was just, she just looked at Judge. She goes, is this like a kiss kiss or is this like, and he goes, oh, you know, you're, you're, you're totally uh, head over heels and blah, blah. It was just so like mechanical that it just felt like it was part of the job, which, so that's what it was. And then not to mention like, you know, the way we were shooting, we were in close. So the people like who lived in the house next door, who weren't in the movie, were all sitting on their stairs looking at us. So it was probably the least romantic thing ever. So you're, and you're, you know, you're in your head. Oh my God. And you know, it's my breath stink. Is this going to look bad and blah, blah, blah. It's, it's nothing, nothing like what you think. But, well, um, and the reason why I bring it up, I wasn't being creepy because I was in a Sandler movie where I have to kiss a woman and I'm not script. It's not scripted to kiss her. Sandler decides to throw it into the script. And, uh, and it was awkward. I didn't know the woman, and I had no time to think about it. And then you kiss her, and then I was like, oh, God, hopefully I don't have to do another take. Like, it was uncomfortable. That's so. exactly what I thought. And I remember when I got through that, I was like, all right, this movie's all downhill from here. <laughs> you know, I got through that. They somehow liked what I did, and now I can kind of continue on. So I actually, you know, a lot of being a comedian, people always say, oh, my God, I can't believe you do that. How do you get the nerve to go up there? I find acting is takes way more courage because, like, with stand-up, I mean, there is the initial the first time they call you up there and you hang on for dear life. But you have, like, an act, and you, you control the areas that you're going to go to. So you will, is, you will create a comfort zone up there that you can just stay in for your whole career if you want. But, like, you get into acting, it's like – to have, you know, you look at the page going, I don't know how to do I got to dance, you know, opposite Mark Wahlberg or something. I had to do something. I was like, oh, my, what, what is it? And it's just like, we wrote this. Yeah. We hired you. Now you have to do it. Whereas a comedian, I could be like, no, I'm not doing that. That's not me. That's not part of my brand. Like with, with acting, it's like, we wrote this. You have to go do it. <laughs> so, and also when they see your performance and I've seen some of the reactions, it's like, oh, wow, he can be a serious actor. And I, I remind people, and I said this after I watched the movie, if you think of comedy, there's a lot of darkness to comedy because you you live things in your life. You just illuminate them to make jokes of what happened that could be something bad. You know, Sandler doing uncut gems. They're like, man, he can be a serious actor. I'm assuming as a comedian, you're kind of digging deep into dark areas there with your family, and then you make fun of it. So you are yeah, acting I mean, that if, way. If you listen to a lot of stories that comics tell, what they're telling you is, is very, what happened in their life was very dramatic and they lived the drama of it. And then telling the story afterwards, 
is just like putting the like, ah, oh, geez, you wouldn't listen, you wouldn't believe this day. But like, as what whatever they're joking about when it was happening, it wasn't funny to them. So, you know, to I don't I don't. You know, it's also kind of funny to me that you would think that somebody could actually live a drama-free life, <laughs> like nothing bad was going to happen. You'd have no disagreements. You're just walking around with like a red nose and a clown horn all day long. I mean, it's just. Not what it is, but you know what it is. It's like, however people see you, then that that's the perception. I mean, before I became a comedian, I thought comedians were the coolest people in the world that all they did was just go around joking around all day, making you laugh every eight seconds. You know, that thing that a lot of people in the club, uh, the crowd do when they come up to you like, wow, you're like really mellow. Wow. You're not like how it's like, do you think I was going to be that guy? screaming around and jumping up and down. Like, how long would that be interesting? When I had Judd Apatow on last week, I said, can you guys, the reason why comedians hang out with comedians is you probably don't suffer fools. And and if you're with, like, you know, Jimmy next door, he's going to try too hard to make you laugh. So is that why comedians hang out with each other? Um. Well, I think just juxtaposition where we are. We probably, you know, you get to know your coworkers, you hang out with them and stuff. And, uh, my thing, as long as somebody's cool or whatever, like I can hang out with them. And I know that I don't want to sit around and talk about my job after I'm done doing it. <laughs> the same way a plumber, I don't want to sit there and be like, so like when you get a busted radiator, well, he doesn't want to sit there and talk about that. So I usually, whoever I hang out with, I try to, they're into sports. That's what's great about sports is you can steer it. You know, I remember the first time I did your show, we went to a break and I brought up some sports analogy or something like that. And you just looked over at me and you went like, these are the thoughts that consume your world. And I was like, oh, my God, I just did that you to did. him. What is the last thing Dan Patrick wants to talk about during a break of a sports show? More sports. And I did it. So we're all guilty of it. Oh, I know. But people will do that. They'll go um, here. Let me give you a sports analogy that like I couldn't understand something unless there's a sports analogy that. They have to dumb it down for me to go, oh, okay, now I get it. Yeah, I wanted your approval that I was officially a sports fan. <laughs> what do so you with comedians, people want your approval, I guess, that they're funny or, uh, you know, but I don't know. I find most part people are pretty cool. We're talking to Bill Burr. The movie is The King of Staten Island and uh, Pete Davidson. It's a Judd Apatow film. Also, F is for Family. That stars Bill and Laura Dern, the fourth season of the animated Netflix series. What sport are you missing the most right now? Uh, that's a tough one. I would say the the last two months was was playoff hockey. Yeah. And now I just kind of like I'm more in like just baseball. I guess I get, I miss baseball. I got excited to see some stuff about the NFL. I mean, I don't know how this works when, you know, you have a, a pandemic and the, the fire isn't put out yet. And then they, all right, we're, we're going to go out now and get the fire going again. Um, I'd be honest with you, I don't understand why we have all this money to bail out banks, but we don't have a, a, an additional fund to just get everybody tested. You know who has it, you know who doesn't, whoever has it stays home and everybody else can go to work so they don't lose their house or their business. You would think, I mean, I know it's a behemoth trying to run a country. I said that like I've ever done it, but, you know, um, you know, I know it's not that simple, but... I hope we're going to – I heard New York is, is like getting tested, is getting a lot easier, which uh, was the first positive news I've heard in a while. So hopefully um, – I don't know. I just don't want to see people go broke. Why don't you stick to the jokes here, Bill, okay? Did I get over my, my tape right there? <laughs> 
<laughs> Do you remember what was it? What I don't know if it was intimidating. Maybe that's not the right word. But when you're on with Chappelle, when you're on that that show, or you're on Breaking Bad, like the magnitude of that, and maybe they're not the same. But what were those feelings like when you were working, you know, on those those two shows? Oh, the night before in the in the van ride over to set, yeah, terrified. Like how do I? Yeah, you never feel. At least I don't feel worthy of being there. And, um, but then I got this German Irish thing where I can just wall off all of my feelings, which is bad in my personal life, but in my professional life, it's good. Like I, I, there's like a place I can go to mentally that I just like, all right, I'm just, you know, one foot in front of the other. I'm just going to do this scene. People want you to, you know, they want it to go well. And then it's like afterwards, like the level of relief that I have, you know, after if I would do stand up on Letterman and it went well, just the level of relief, yeah. I would get so wound up emotionally. And then right before I would go out there, I would I had this little mental game I could play to get myself out of that. You know, I used to do the thing I would I would walk by the crowd and really look at the crowd as they were lined up waiting to go into the Ed Sullivan Theater. You know, look at that guy with his I love New York T-shirt. These are just regular people, Bill. This is just like doing a spot at the cellar. It's just Dave Letterman's going to be sitting, you know, five feet away from you. So, yeah, I, I don't know if you measure yourself with like Chappelle and his brilliance. And, you know, can you be on that level or you're going to be on breaking? No, that, that's a very easy answer. No, <laughs> not even remotely. Dave is Dave is Dave. And then the rest of us are doing stand up. I mean, his latest special is incredible. Um, yeah, well, you just. You know, you look, you look at some great team. I'm going to do a sports analogy here. Uh, yeah, okay, good. But not, not for you, because okay. this is how I live okay. my life. Okay, good. Okay, okay. on all sports teams, okay. there is there is the Tom Brady, Joe Montana guy. But then, you know, then there's also, like, the, the guys who just, like, just step up and make a play. Um, Malcolm Butler, there's those, those guys. They step up in the moment, and then, like, you just look like, okay, I'm just going to do my job. My job is to, you know, do this, these little five lines. I got these five lines down. Dave Chappelle's carrying the weight of this or Brian Cranston. Um, yeah, I, I find you just do your job and, and get, and then when they say cut, you get, you get out of the way. <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, that's Bill Burr, comedian, joining us on the program. Uh, you got to do something with the background there in your crib. I don't. Yeah, you do. I don't. Yeah, you, you you're do. like a 17 year old chick who's accessorizing too much. I can barely see you. You got dolls. You, know, you just need bracelets <laughs> and a nose ring. Do you have? Why don't you send me half of that crap and we'll meet in the middle? Do you have bars on your window there? What kind of neighborhood no, do you curtains. live? <laughs> what kind of those neighborhood? Oh, they're curtained. Oh, they look like bars. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm a minimalist. <laughs> oh, you want to go around? Yeah, let's go around the room here. Let there me see. I, I, got, I got something for Breaking Bad fans. I usually don't save souvenirs, but this shirt was so ridiculous. This is, I just have this laying here. This is the shirt, the stagecoach shirt or whatever, the cowboy shirt that I wore when, when we robbed the train. Why didn't you get just, it framed? I haven't got around to it. <laughs> All right. What else do you have in there? And that was like seven years ago or whenever. All right. All right, I'll what, show you what something. else do you got here? I'll show you the coolest thing any any fan ever got me here. Okay, here we go. All right. All right. Um, mm -hmm. So I did a gig in, in Boston. I'm a huge hockey fan. And this guy who, who custom paints 
Goalie mask. Well, that's sharp. Look at this. Burr. Thing. Oh, it says burr, burr. on there. In and it's got color. the Bruin B. Yeah. And on this side, it's got, look at that. It's got George Carlin, Richard Pryor. Uh, on this side, I play drums as a hobby. So they used to, in big band days, they would, they would say BR, like Buddy Rich. Led Zeppelin, because I like John Bonham. And Steven Adler's skull from the <laughs> Appetite for Destruction. <laughs> and then on top, uh, I'm a Ford guy. I also say, uh, go you know what yourself at the end of my podcast. So the F word is written like the Ford logo. Can't have that. And on the back, he's got a Patrice O'Neill, the greatest comic oh, I ever saw. Oh, wow. Isn't that incredible? That is awesome. And he just gave it to me, and I could barely thank him, and he left. Who's over your uh, right shoulder? That uh... That's Angus Young. Oh, that's Angus Young on the High Voltage Tour. That's Bobby Orr. And down there, that's at the Comedy Store with uh, Dana Carvey. Uh, Norm MacDonald and David Spade. Three of my huge comedy heroes. That was my favorite cast of SNL. And one night we were all down there. I think it was David Spade's show. And uh, he put me on in the main room, the comedy store, back when you could do stand-up comedy in front of uh, human beings. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we went down there. Just It just so happened that there was a photographer down there and he snapped that picture. And that is my my favorite like, you know, I, other than my, my close friends that I started with, I just, if you told me that I was going to get to work with any of them in, in any capacity, I, I would have been, you know, over the moon. Don't get sentimental. I mean, once again, stick to the jokes here, Bill. You're getting heavy. Hey, listen, can you stop taking your, your emotionally, like, <laughs> your childhood out on me? I'm sorry you weren't hugged as a child, Dan. I have things and I enjoy things. Why are you hiding so much on your own show? That's what I want. Like, if I was a therapist. This is a very guarded set that you have, all of this stuff. Do you need to prove to people that you're that loved that they send you all these dolls? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I, 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 got, I got a commercial break Up here. against a break. Up against a commercial break. God, Leah, I'd love to spend a that lot of... That is the best way to diffuse when somebody's coming at you, you disagree yeah. with them. Yeah. What do you do that because you're insecure? Yes, I yes, do. I, yes, I am. I'm all of the above. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, hey, congrats on the film and uh, love the mustache. Looked hot. And, uh, you know, we Thank both you. have one thing in common. We both made out with Marissa Tomei. Well, there you go. You know, and I, I felt that warmth during this, uh, this interview. <laughs> and yours was in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Bill. All right, then. Thanks, That's buddy. Bill Burr. The movie is King of Staten Island. We'll take a break. Back after this. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live every day at YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. Yeah, the King of Staten Island, I liked it. I thought Bill Burr was really good. Marissa Tomei, really good. Uh, it's really based on Pete Davidson's life, loosely based on Pete Davidson's life. I thought that some of his friends in the movie were really good, and I wanted to see more of them. Uh, but it's uh, King of Staten Island. A couple of phone calls here. Uh, Roger in New York. Hi, Roger. What's on your mind today? Hey, what's up, Dan? Uh, so, so I know you didn't want to talk baseball, but I, I, do, I just got to bring it back up. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty I'm, – I'm, I'm definitely a, a bit angry. I mean, I, in terms of the season coming back, I feel like the MLB Players Association and, and the owners, they're not only not seeing that eye-to-eye, but I feel like the financials behind it is just not like it's not all added up. So I find that 
to, to make things better, I think that the Players Association has to. All righty. Very dramatic pause there. <laughs> Made Thank, his point, though. Thank you for holding for 40 minutes, Roger. He's where MLB is basically right now anyway. Yeah. Walter in Florida joins us. Hi, Walter. How are you? Great, great. Hey, Dan. You know, this might come across as blasphemy, but I think this is a great opportunity for baseball to get its viewership back by, you know, make it an 82 season for now and forever. Play only in the summer. Everybody takes a pay cut and, you you know, make it affordable for a family of four to go to a game again. You know, my kids, are, you know, they're in college and I thought, oh, they would love to play baseball. They just were bored. It's not the top of the entertainment food chain. So knock it down to 82 games. Keep it short keep it in the summer don't compete with football and yeah they take a pay cut but a family four can go see a game again yeah but they don't care about that walter they don't care and thanks for the phone call they don't these players are making their money they feel like they've earned that money these owners are making their money and they continue to price gouge you there until you stop going and i've said for years now I don't know why owners don't make it more fan friendly to get more people in younger fans to experience a baseball game we all had that one that first baseball game and we can all remember it but you're not giving these kids that moment because it costs so much just parking like just getting in the door you're down a hundy and then everything that goes along with going there but if you set up special areas and you say hey if you get straight a's you bring your report card in or, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll put you out there. You know, the tickets are going to be $3, $5 at the moment. Whatever it is, get you into the ballpark because I want repeat business. And part of baseball is it's about the same people going to games and watching games. You don't have that curiosity factor. And that's where you're thinking long-term, bigger picture here. And baseball is getting older and I'm talking about the fan base. Baseball getting older and not wiser either. Uh, Alan in Los Angeles. Hi, Alan. What do you have for me today? Yeah, good morning, Dan. This is Alan from L.A. I'm a hardcore baseball fan. I just have a, um, a uh, idea for a T-shirt. Ernie Banks, let's play one. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and also, Buster Olney's article uh, was so great. He said if baseball just would have signed that agreement in March, they would have been the only team, and there would have been goodwill, ratings, and for the long term, and they are ruining baseball for the long term. And as a hardcore baseball fan, I feel so bad. Yeah, I don't have answers, uh, and thank you, Alan. I'm just like everybody else. You know, it's just frustrating. It is. Because baseball was really important to me. It's becoming less and less important, because it's not really baseball. You either hit a home run or you strike out. Baseball has no movement anymore. And I could understand, you know, if, if I've taken my kids to a game, I made, I, I didn't make them, but I made sure that they went to see Derek Jeter's last year. I wanted them to just, so they could tell, you know, their kids, grandkids, they saw Derek Jeter play at Yankee Stadium. I thought it was that important. There's no movement, and they're, they're, you can tell, like, they're restless. They're teenagers at the time, and they're going, well, what's, you know, what's the big deal? Now, my son's a baseball fan, but my daughter's like, uh, you know, it's kind of boring here. No movement whatsoever, and that's another problem. Hey, 
If we give everybody what they want, they want home runs. Everybody's going to be watching. Everybody's going to want to tune in. That's not the case. Mark Grace was on yesterday. He said, you know, there's never a hit and run anymore. There's never a suicide squeeze. You don't give yourself up going to the other side of the infield. And you might say, well, those are boring. That's movement. Watch a baseball game if when they come back and how much movement there is or there isn't. It's I can throw 97 and your launch angle is to hit a home run. That's all it is. It's not exciting. Too much of a good thing. Hey, people want home runs. Okay, we'd like to have a little bit more. And you don't have that. Uh, Jesse in L.A. Hi, Jess. Hey, DP. Um, 5'10", still a hard 169. Hey, DP, I've been waiting for you to get Bill Burr back on for a long time. And, <laughs> and that all the creeps are on the radio line is exactly He's why. He's favorite. He's great. <laughs> if, if you... If, you, if you're cruising around Netflix, check out his older stand-up show, Let It Go. Uh, you'll absolutely love it. But, but uh, my comment on the MLB, sorry to do this to you, is that the lowest predictive value of all MLB teams as of late 2019, according to the website Stadium Talk, are the Baltimore Orioles at $2.1 billion. Yeah. The lowest paid players are league minimum 560000 And I'm more than a casual baseball fan. I'll come back to watch. But I believe, that, as you say, they're going to lose even more money in the long run by not coming back when it comes to gate entry, because it just looks terrible to the everyday person. Thanks a lot. And and thank you, Jesse. I was fortunate growing up that if you got straight A's, and granted, I didn't, but uh, people in my house did, you got tickets to the Reds. And I remember going to the Padres game. The Padres weren't any good, but I got to go see the big red machine in Cincinnati at Riverfront Stadium, and it didn't cost that much. And my dad took us, and I just and it stayed with me. We were in center field. That's where they put the straight-A kids, or those who knew the straight-A kids. And they weren't great seats. I was in the ballpark. We went there for batting practice. I got to, I just remember everything about it. It was sensory overload. And I never forgot that. And that's what baseball is missing out on. Get another generation in the ballpark to experience it. And it's affordable so dad can take them. Dale Jr. coming up, final hour. 